This is the Fail Fast Podcast. Stories of entrepreneurs who looked at failure in the eyes and didn't give up. With your host, the online sales master, Quinn Amorum. Welcome to the show, my friends. Today we have a special guest who was in sales for almost 20 years before moving into B2B sales. And when he did, he noticed the difference and he struggled as a salesperson for the first time. So for the last eight years, he improved himself with coaches and books, and he now has a company which helps small teams and entrepreneurs create repeatable sales processes, and he customizes tech to really see what is working in sales conversations and what isn't. He also is one of the hosts of the Sales Throwdown. We have with us today, John Hill. John, how's it going? It's going really well. I appreciate you inviting me on. I'm super happy to be here. Thank you, John. So one of the things I know is you have you're known as Small Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that is a that is a moniker that I that I do go by. Absolutely. Where did this come from? <clears throat> so uh, th- this is one of those things about uh, I guess kind of forcing something to happen. Um, my last name is actually Hill, and what happens is sometimes when I'm talking to people and I tell them my name, most people struggle with the idea of Hill as being the last name. Not sure why. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's my cadence and maybe it's all on me, but inevitably when I say John Hill, people mishear it. And so then I just say, you know, like a small mountain and then everyone is fine. And so then when I was going to start a blog, I decided why not call it johnsmallmountain.com because this is kind of a, a name that I also go by. And then when we started the podcast, we, we picked out these names that were uh, somewhat supposed to be close to our personalities for the show. And since I was already kind of using small mountain for my personal branding, we just kind of carried that in. And now it's, it's stuck, but it's very much one of those things where it got a little bit of traction. And then all the rest of the momentum was for me because I, I like it better than Hill. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I get it. So you were in sales 20 years or close to 20 years, and then you moved to B2B sales. Was this uh, something that you thought of or it actually happened because of circumstances? Um, so really I've been in sales total for 20 years, right? With the last eight being in B2B. So the first 12 were, you know, uh, retail sales, working with banks and things like that. So, you know, you're kind of tied to a location. You can't really go out and get it. And I got a golden opportunity actually from one of the guys who's on the show with me to come in and work with him and sell medical devices. And I'm not sure how familiar you are with medical devices, but, uh, it's kind of a very competitive industry. And, uh, first time I struggled. And at the time, that was terrible. But that's what forced me to go out and get coachable around my, my own ego, and my personality, and really kind of take more control over my results of being in the field and things like this. And it's been a long process. Um, ultimately, decided that medical devices were not the realm I wanted to be in. And uh, at about that same time, uh, a friend of mine was like, hey, do you want to come in and help me grow uh, a website design agency that I'm planning to launch? And I said, absolutely. So I'm kind of here due to my own efforts, but also luck and of surrounding myself with the right kind of people. So really lucky to be where I am now due to really like two different people that have taken pretty big shots on me, honestly. Very good. And you mentioned medical devices. So I I actually do not know. I don't know anything about medical devices. Just that some of them look weird. That's all I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, My selling experience uh, for physical products is done online. And this is one of the cases that Online may not work. It actually has to be in person. I'm guessing you have to do some sort of explanation and or I or I guess whoever buys these devices knows what they are. 
Yeah, so there's a bit of a range in the in the products that we sold were around uh, spinal surgeries, right? So, uh, you know, screws and rods for fixating the spine if there's problems there and things like that. And so because of that, your sales process doesn't stop whenever someone says, yes, we'll use this, right? We're actually in the OR during the surgery in case there's questions or in case there's, you know, some sort of mess ups, that way we can help out, make sure that the doctor's prepared with the right tools that they like to use. So that way we can help facilitate the speed of the case. And that's not the case for all medical device sales. You know, some of them don't get to go into the OR and things like this. And, but it is very much an in-person thing. It's, you can't do this kind of thing online. You know, you gotta, you gotta put in the work and, you know, go, go to the offices, do the cold drop-ins and all, and all that stuff. So it's a bit of a different process. Well, I, I had no idea that you would actually have to be there and at some point. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> the first one is always the weirdest one, right? Because you have no idea what to expect. But a lot of these, you know, uh, surgeons that are doing, you know, spinal, sp spinal fixation for, you know, uh, I can't think of the word right now, but vertebral uh, body kind of, they, they start to go away after a while or, or the disc between the two vertebral bodies do starts to degenerate. And depending upon a lot of other factors, you know, we might need to pull a disc and put in a spacer and kind of fuse all that together so that way you can have quality of life without nerve pain and, and everything else like this. There's a lot that goes into it, but the first one is always kind of a eye-opening experience because it's a little bit like woodworking in the OR. These guys are, you know, fixating things and shoring things up and it's, it, I mean, I'm still speechless, right? And it was, you know, it was a long time ago when I was in that world and saw the first one. So it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to explain like the, like the strangeness of it because right? you're in this very sterile environment. You can't touch anything. Everyone's very nervous, you know, especially if you're new because, you know, there's, a, there's just a lot of stuff going on and it can be kind of a nerve wracking environment. So it's fantastic because I, I never thought of that that way. So I, I guess it takes a special kind of salesperson to do that. Yeah. You know, in especially here in, in America where, you know, the, the healthcare system is different than what it is in Canada. Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty flooded. It's extremely competitive. I've seen some salespeople do some terrible things to other salespeople in the name of business. And uh, it just kind of seemed not where I wanted to be. Now, Al, who's on the show with me and Nanette, who's also on the show with me, uh, they love that realm and it's a good fit for them. And we kind of talk about that on the show a little bit. The show is really about our personalities and how those personalities come into play as we're selling. And, you know, you have to know yourself and then before you can know anybody else. And so we spend a lot of time talking about that very specifically, but they're very well suited for that kind of sell where I'm not as wired for that. And so, you know, it kind of makes sense that I'm no longer in that space. Yeah, I get it. So, John, why do you think it's so hard to hire salespeople or may, may I say good salespeople? You know, I think that it comes down to the fact that most people are not great teachers out of the box. It's a it's very much a learned skill set. And before we turned on the camera, we were kind of talking a little bit about martial arts because you've done some and I've done some as well. And you see this happening a lot in the martial arts communities. You know, you do something for a very long time and you drill and drill and drill and practice. So that way it becomes instinctual. And then once you're at that space, you've got, you know, what is known as unconscious competence, right? You're, you, can, you can do it without having to think about it. Mm -hmm. And when you reach that plane of knowing anything, whether it's sales or martial arts or how to tie your shoes, it becomes very hard to explain it very well to somebody else. And unfortunately in sales, a lot of people are brought in with this idea of like, well, you'll, you'll, either, you'll either sink or swim because that's what I did. And if you don't make it, we'll just let you go and we'll hire someone else. And more companies are figuring out with time that that's not a sustainable hiring process, right? So more and more companies are going towards more training around products and actual sales training and things like this. And 
what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to give you the process so that way that first hire, if you're the entrepreneur and you've had all the selling conversations, I come in and I interview you and figure out what makes your bells ring, what kind of clues you in about good fit versus bad fit and document all that. So that way you can give the keys to that castle to someone else to get, to get more success from them. Yeah. And where do you think that a lot of salespeople that, that fail when it comes to whatever new product or service that they're trying to sell, uh, what do you think is the main reason why some of them fail? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I think it depends upon the person, right? I think that in, in a lot of cases, there's a lack of understanding about when you should say no versus when you should say yes. And that makes pressure on the salesperson to turn every deal into a yes. You know, moving from a corporate environment into the small business environment, that's one of the biggest things I had to go unlearn, right? Because when I worked for you know, bigger companies, I was a banker for Chase and I worked for AT&T and things like this you know, you're trying to capitalize on every opportunity, you know, whereas in the small business world, it's much more about right fit and right time and being able to say no to someone to make sure that you're helping them out, right? Salespeople get a bad rap because we're viewed as people that are more concerned with making money than we are about doing the right thing. And there's a number of factors that play into that because it does show up from time to time. But when you move into the small business realm, it's much more about right fit, right? Because your your support team is smaller. It might just be you, right? And when you go to hire that first salesperson, right? How how do you make sure that they're bringing in good quality targets? And a lot of that is about education and sitting with them and spending time with them. And that's hard to do when you're wearing multiple hats. And that's kind of where I come in. I'll take that time, sit down with whoever your best salesperson is, figure out what they're doing that other people aren't and turn that into a repeatable process. That way everyone can use it and everyone's using the same language. Then we use technology to like really track everything to make sure that our understanding is correct. And then we can make small adjustments based upon actual data and not just how someone feels, because that can lead us down paths that don't really serve us from a sales perspective. Yeah, and what kind of tech, when you talk about tech, uh, I mean, I love that, and analyzing data is probably is probably one of my favorite things. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, are you recording sales calls with, with software, or what exactly is that, that you're doing? So the first thing we do is, is it starts with building out the CRM in a way that mirrors this new process, right? So that way we can really see where things fall out of the pipeline and, and what kind of percentages it does, because at that point it becomes a bit of a math problem, right? Um, let's say you're, let's say you're, uh, you're selling, you know, personal lines insurance. Well, part of your process is probably that you have to collect deck pages and, and information from clients. So that way you can do an audit to figure out if you can save them any money or not. And for mo a lot of people that I work with, that's where, things start to fall apart when you, we have to rely on information from our prospects. So that way we can give them the information necessary. There's always going to be a gap there. So let's frame that gap in the CRM so that way we can track how many deals we lose due to that very one specific ask, right? And then we can work on improving like how we ask for that information. Maybe we change the, the process so that way it, it ups the percentages. So it's not just like a one and done kind of thing. You know, it can be, but hopefully we get enough data pretty quickly that we can then look for opportunities to improve. Okay, nice one. And for example, when you have um, several customers that want to like reach you personally, do you how do you communicate with your customers? Is there I mean, are you giving out your phone number to get texts or skyping? How do how does this happen? For me personally, or for the clients that I that I help? Uh, no, but between you you and the clients, how do you go back and forth? Oh, yeah. So in the beginning, it's a lot of uh, Zoom and Skype sessions, right? So mm -hmm. thankfully, you know, 
I'm not really sure when this is going to come out, you know, um, but right now we're kind of dealing with, you know, the coronavirus thing. And most of my work is distanced anyway. It's virtual. So we can do this kind of work even now with all this going on um, without having to like get together and hash it out. So there's a lot of Zoom stuff in the beginning. We record all of those. And then we go out and we kind of build a process. We build out the CRM and then we work as kind of an accountability coach because this doesn't work unless you fully commit to the process and the systems that we build out for you. Because the goal is to capture enough data that we've got information to make, you know, assumptions and then test those assumptions. Okay. Nice. So now one of the things that when, when I had a, what do you call it, a nine to five job, for example, which it mm-hmm. wasn't nine to five, but uh, <laughs> so years ago when that happened, um, I, there was one thing that I couldn't stand and it was being micromanaged. Sure. This, I, and I don't, I don't think there's anybody out there that likes that. So, <laughs> without micromanaging your sales team, how is it, how can you go about letting them do things and be able to trust them? Yeah. So this is my soapbox, right? Because I've been, I've been on the side of being micromanaged and I've also been on the side of not having enough information and trying to figure it out for myself, which for my personality type makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Um, if you're familiar with DISC, I'm a C, right? And C is like, lots of information and lots of clarity and very clear expectations. And so whenever someone is like, well, just go out and make it happen, champ, that makes me nervous, right? And, and it's not going to for other people and that's okay. But when you're a sales leader, you kind of need to know how your people are wired so that way you can give them what they need. Just like as a salesperson, you need to understand what your prospect needs to feel comfortable moving forward and shifting subtly so that way you give them what they need. Now, what happens is a lot of teams are running just their stuff on results-based. What have you done for me lately? Kind of, you know, is how it's talked about. And that's okay, right? It's been around for a long time. It's how, it's how a lot of people have done it. A lot of people have had success. But the thing is, when you build your value and hang your value on results-only, you know, sales cultures, you're going to have a lot of ups and a lot of downs, right? Uh, emotionally. And that's why I talk to people about shifting towards kind of a KPI-based culture. You know, the leading indicators impact the lagging indicators, the results. Because you can't make somebody say yes. You can't make somebody have a budget. You know, you can only do the best thing you can. And so when you have KPIs around certain activities that you have to do weekly and monthly, it's a little bit easier to give your people a little bit more space. Now, you have to adjust as necessary. And so that's kind of why it's an ongoing process. But when you have got KPIs and you're managing and coaching around those KPIs, you, there's some trust in the process that has to be there. But then with that, you make adjustments as necessary to get to where you're trying to go. Whereas most salespeople are just scrambling, looking for more because there's not really clarity about what they really fully need, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. So one of the things that you have to do in that situation is something that I personally want to get better at in is like creating those sales processes and uh, standard operating procedures. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that you develop or you have something that somebody that does them for you like what's the process of doing that like um, the, those the process of creating processes <laughs> so so here's the deal it's it's uncomfortable for some people right because a lot of salespeople have just been kind of flying by the seat of their pants right and historically sales is looked at of like hey he's the lone wolf he's the sales guy he's the rainmaker he always makes it happen but give him a space and what we're seeing is more and more teams moving away from that. You know, you look at big, big companies, especially in tech, like Salesforce, you know, and things like this, those guys are, are following the same procedure. They're using the same language and everything else like this. And because of that, they've got mountains of data about what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. When 
when you're just winging it and throwing it against the wall and there's no continuity from conversation to conversation, it's really hard to tell, did I do a bad job or were they just unqualified? And that should make you feel a little bit uncomfortable whenever you're thinking about, am I going to do this for the rest of my professional life? You know, and how do I grow and how, how do I grow my company, right? A lot of the people that I work with are solopreneurs who know that eventually they don't want to be the salesperson anymore. But since everyone talks about how hard hiring is in general, and then hiring good salespeople is on top of that, you know, they're nervous, understandably so, because you've got all this data from all these conversations, and you probably have a bit of a process already without even really thinking about it. Because we learn by getting kicked in the teeth sometimes in sales, right? The first time that someone tells you, this sounds great, let's talk next week, you get super excited. And then like the 500th time, you're like, okay, here we go, right? So <clears throat> the process changes if you're thoughtful about these kinds of conversations you're having. I'm just trying to shortcut that so that way it's a little bit more formalized and it's not living just purely in your head. Nice, nice. So here's something I was just thinking in my head. I want to put this out there. Um, there's two people out there talking about salespeople and there's two people out there that consider themselves the best salesmen in the world. Mm -hmm. and it's Grant Cardone and Jordan Belfort. You, yep. you heard both? I am familiar with both those guys. So if it is true that one of them is the best, I don't know if it is, but if it is, who do you think would be? Um, man, that's a really good question, right? I personally, I think those guys preach a method of selling that doesn't work for me, right? Because they're, they're the kind of people that are okay heaping lots of pressure onto people and not really caring about the results of that pressure, whether it's relationship-wise or outcome-wise. They can just put lots of pressure and then if you get a no and you're one of those people, you just move on to the next one, no big deal. Most people don't fall into that personality range. And so because of that, it's very uncomfortable to put lots of pressure on people. So I kind of go the other way, right? Not more pressure, less pressure. Like let's you know, frame well, have really good conversations, but like let's empower them so that way we don't get lied to. Um, as far as who's better between those two people, um, you know, it, it's it's kind of hard to deny with their results specifically. Uh, I think that at this stage, Belfort is much more about using, I guess, kind of his brand to carry him forward. Whereas, like, I think Grant Cardone is still like selling, you know, on very high end stuff. And you know, I'm happy to be wrong about that. I don't know either one of those guys. Um, personal so but that's just kind of how i think about it i see a lot more cardone stuff than i do belfort stuff and that just might be marketing and targeting more than it is about like actual success so uh, it, it definitely is a lot of a lot of marketing and all social media i mean grant cardone is almost like gary v right with now with the, everything he's doing yep. is being recorded and and somebody else is typing in uh so yeah it's, it's hard to tell the reason why i asked it because i often thought about it and I mean two of them had a, a interview together which I think went really wrong towards uh Grant Cardone he I don't know if you oh, saw yeah. that one I haven't seen that yet I should go check that out oh yeah there's um it was a big controversy uh because two of them were just talking and then Grant Cardone he he well he, he didn't seem to be all there in that interview <laughs> and he was uh almost almost um, too defensive and aggressive at the same time. I don't know, it was weird, weird. I need to take a look. <laughs> yes, check it out. All right, so I'm talking about the pressure method. I agree with you in that when it comes to, to selling. 
I uh, because I did sales as well, and I agree with you. I I never want to put too much pressure into it. I was more like the approach of kind of try to build a relationship. Mm -hmm. These are in-person sales, of course. Try sure. to build a relationship with the, with these customers, and then every time I met with them, we would talk about cars and you know because i like uh collector cars old muscle cars and mm -hmm. you know that kind of conversation without ever trying to sell them anything but yeah. they always knew what services i provided mm -hmm. and when they needed those services i would hope to be that their call that's kind of what my approach was for for the longest time and, uh, yeah out of there go. Yeah, I think I think that more and more people, especially with like like all these social media platforms being what they're LinkedIn and Facebook and, and Twitter very specifically, uh, you got to be a little bit more relationship driven as opposed to transactionally driven of like let me just make a sale, right? And it doesn't really matter. Um, more and more people want that trust, right? Of someone who's who's you know is this the right thing? Is this really what I need? And when you can do a good job of kind of digging into that with them, right? And you're giving them this idea that yeah it's important to me that you have a good outcome and not that i just make money on this deal that's when you start to separate yourself and that's where you have rapport and trust and better deals and you know part of that is from our, the questions that we ask and part of it is from like mindset which i can't really do much about from like a process perspective but you know you kind of find that on your own right what i have found is that most people once they have a repeatable process and they they understand that you're going to get no's and that's and that's okay and the pipeline is deep enough most of the mindset issues for, for me and a lot of my clients go away because you don't have to be on all the time you're not caught in the paradigm of i just need more i just need more you've got clarity about you know the activities you have to do before you can shut it down and go focus on the other parts of your business and if you're a solopreneur and you're wearing seven hats you know this is where you you can go do those other things and not feel guilty about it right because there are times in my business where I, I need to be following up with people and working my pipeline and, and all of those things, but you might be putting out fires, right? You know, I mean, especially right now with like coronavirus, you know, like I'm at home, school is out. So my daughter's here as well. So I'm not as productive as I normally am, but it's okay because I know the KPIs that I have to hit as far as, you know, conversations and decision-making conversations, the qualifying conversations to, to get me to where my goal is. And so with that clarity comes comfort. Nice. And then, we we spoke a couple of times of of your business. So I, I mean, we didn't talk about the name yet, and that is Adaptive Growth, correct? Mm -hmm. That's correct. Yeah, adaptivegrowth.com. And uh, what exactly do you do in uh, or Adaptive Growth will do for for your customers? So depending upon where you are, the process changes a little bit, right? <laughs> that my original love for this was the entrepreneur, solopreneur who hasn't hired a salesperson yet, and they're nervous about it. They know that they need to scale. But they've heard the horror stories about hiring. They know the horror stories about hiring salespeople very specifically. And so they're putting that off as long as they can. And you know that when you put that off, it's keeping you from growing to the next level. And that was the people that I wanted to help originally. But what I found is that it's the small teams who get more value out of this initially. right? Because if you got three salespeople and you have one who's a top performer and the other people are somewhere there in the middle, most people are concerned about why does that gap exist? And they can't really figure it out. I come in... I interview the important people and figure out the metrics that are important and then, you know, create a process that everybody can use, which hopefully closes that gap a little bit. Because if you have a really great salesperson, you want to keep them, right? Good salespeople who already understand and can produce and are bringing in good work for you are 
not a commodity, right? We It takes time and effort to get those people to that level. So you want to keep them. The best way to keep them is to make sure that they feel valued, that they're, that they have a longer leash, right? Because a lot of these companies don't really trust their salespeople. We're kind of seeing this now with like the coronavirus and the social distancing and the home quarantining. You know, I'm getting screenshots of internal emails from some of these companies and it's so much micromanaging because you can only coach around the results. There's no trust or love for the process. And that's going to lead you down some interesting paths. So John, about your company, the name is Adaptive Growth, correct? That's correct. So what exactly can somebody expect to get while uh, hiring your company? Oh, great question. Um, so it shifts a little bit if you already have salespeople or if you're the you know entrepreneur, solopreneur, founder who is looking to hire people eventually. Um, but the goal is, is to figure out what is important to you, what what metrics and what leading indicators, not just the results, right? The results are how we keep score, but we can't control that, right? So let's focus on what we can control. And I sit down and I help people build out customized prospecting, you know, activity counts as far as those KPIs so that way we're keeping the pipeline full and then documenting kind of what that process should look like, right? From qualifying to the questions that you need to ask as far as making sure that are they a good fit for you? Are they looking for someone bigger? Are they looking for someone smaller? you know, and things like that. So that way you spend less time chasing unqualified prospects and more time talking with qualified prospects. And then the technology part of that is really just to capture enough data. So that way we're not making assumptions about what could work. It's very much, okay, we're, we're losing people at this very specific stage. Why? Okay. And how can we, you know, increase these results? And then what happens is usually people fall into one of two areas once they've got this clarity and the processes are in place and the and the tracking. One is you're not you're not having enough people come through this process with you, which means that we need more leads and more business and I can help with that. And then for some people you're not happy with the percentages, right? They're, you know, you're you're losing a lot of people in the qualifying stage. You're doing a lot of proposals, but they're not a lot of closing. Well that's that's very much a coaching issue, right? So if you're the sales manager or sales leader, you then can coach around these things and you know, if you don't have that skill set, or if it's not, you know, if you don't have the time, then I have, you know, agreements and connections with people who do coach around those things very specifically. So it's about figuring out where the gap is, and then being very specific in how we fill that gap. Nice. Yeah, I think that most solopreneurs have an issue with, with hiring people, not only because they're afraid of what they can get, but also because most of them may believe that they can do it better. I, I suffer from that, right? That's the thing. Delegation is a is a hard hard skill. Um, I have a, I have a Facebook group and we talk about these things about you know culture and having the right people and processes and things like this. And everybody when they're new struggles with the idea of how much time it takes to train a new person into a process because. Mm-hmm. By default, we can be very short-minded, right? Oh, man, this is just taking so much time. I don't have this time. Well, think about how that time is going to pay off in the long run when you can fully offload whatever task it is to someone and know that they're going to do it more or less the way that you want to do it because you've been documenting your processes, right? Then you can say, cool, here's the keys to the castle. Please go. Let's, let's make this happen with a level of confidence because it's coming from your brain, right? These are your tools and you don't have to worry about someone coming in and wanting to do it their way, which can be radically different from yours. And you're not sure if those results are going to come in or not. You know, that's a lot of pressure on top of someone new on your payroll in most instances. The goal is to get them producing as quickly as possible. And if you can give them a process that's tried and true, you're going to have better results faster. 
Yeah, you know what? This is something that, like I said, I suffered from that issue for the longest time because I figured I can do it better than anybody. So I might as well just do this test. Mm -hmm. it, it gets to a point where you simply cannot do them. Even if you yeah. work 24 hours a day and you don't sleep, you can't do it. So there's one tool, and I want to ask you after this, what, what, what are some of your favorite tools? There's one tool out there, and this is a, not an ad to them or anything. It's just a $5 tool called Loom. It's a Chrome mm -hmm. extension. Mm -hmm. And for in my case, because everything I do is online, I started recording every single task I, I, I did. I would record it. And then I, could, I, I created this, um, I don't know, folders of all these videos. Mm -hmm. And anybody that is new, I can tell them, here, look at these folders and see this is how I do it. Can you do it the same way? And now it's it's it got a lot easier. Still, I mean, it's still not all you know beautiful and everything, but it's it's a lot easier to hire anybody and to just give them here follow this, right? Absolutely, right. So what? It, so when it comes to hiring, you kind of fall into one of two boats, right? You're either okay paying the premium for someone who already has a lot of knowledge about the thing that you're trying to hire, and they can come in and they're going to make it happen. You pay a premium for those kinds of people, but when you are process driven and you and you can you know document your thoughts whether loom or you know uh just like even documenting it you know on like google docs you know when you can do that you can work with people who are newer right maybe entry level and you don't necessarily have to pay the premium for them that you would for someone who's going to come in and bring their processes with them because they've got the experience that goes with it so it's kind of one of those two things but when you're the founder or the owner and you've got you know, hundreds of sales conversations under your belt already because you've been the person doing it. Let's let's use your processes because they're probably going to be better for your business specifically than any process that someone else is going to walk in with, even if they have industry knowledge, because every business is different. So the more you can do that stuff, and I, I love Loom, right? I, I I'm probably later to the party than most people are, but some people are never going to sit down and read my bulleted out documentation with screenshots and arrows and all that stuff. It's just too much for them and that and that's okay so you know we now double down and use loom as well as the standard documentation methods that way if you're a visual person and you want to see me you know or someone from my team go through that then awesome we have that for you if you just want to read it on your own because that's going to be easier for you we can deliver that as well and then along with that is i, I don't know if i mentioned this a moment ago uh, you know we stay on for you know four to six weeks depending upon the size of the team and how much accountability is necessary to make sure that you feel comfortable in these systems you know that I know that CRM for most salespeople is kind of a four letter word, but when we talk about the trade-off of either using a CRM and a documented process and having a little bit more, you know, longer leash, more control, a little bit more distance, less meetings, uh, most people are like, okay, I'll buy in, we'll give this a, a shot, right? And then it's on me as kind of the person who's bringing in this new way of doing it to really make sure that they get their time back, you know, they're not being micromanaged and that, and that everybody's following the process and trusting it, so. And what is like a piece of software or a tool that you like or use the most? Um, so I'm kind of CRM agnostic. You know, um, I want to bring in the right tool for the right people and how you sell, right? And a lot of people, the more involved the sale is and the more expensive the sale is, the more they have to do, you know, case studies and, you know, emails and funnels that are part of their sales process. And that changes the CRM that I suggest versus someone who is just, you know, old fashioned sales team, they're out there, they're knocking on doors, they're n not quite road warriors, but they're, they're more outside. 
And so because of that, it's the end solution will change, but CRM is is where it goes. You can manage your spread, you can manage your pep, your pipeline on a spreadsheet, but what happens is that's going to lead to things falling through the cracks, right? As far as activities and follow-ups and stuff like this. CRM is built very specifically to let not let that happen. And unfortunately, a lot of companies look at a CRM and they're just pulling one metric. You know, you know, a lot of people talk about the the chatter in Salesforce. Document your chatter. We need enough chatter. And you know, being a data guy, like when you just pull one one metric, you're not doing yourself any favors, right? How does this how does this metric impact the end result? And then let's work on fixing that in relation to this thing. And I think I think a lot of people, a lot of sales managers are just pulling one metric and hoping that it's going to change things and they don't really communicate down the chain of command why that why those things are important. So I see that too. One metric is I guess the, the default what most companies or or teams take out of CRM is one metric. Exactly. You know, what's your close rate? What's your close rate? What's your close rate? Well, you know, you could have most people's close rate, depending upon how you look at it, is going to be pretty low, right? So just like looking at the overall close rate doesn't really make a lot of sense to me because especially if you're doing like ads, right? You're going to get a lot of kind of unqualified people, right? Even on Facebook where you can target around interests uh, as opposed to just keywords, you're going to get a lot of people who are not qualified. So maybe don't look at the overall close rate. Maybe look at once they're qualified and they receive a, a proposal, how many of those are closing? Because if that's a low number, then that means that our qualifying game needs to step up a little bit, which is really easy to coach around. But until we have that knowledge, it just seems like, oh, this person isn't good enough. But everybody has got strong parts and weak parts of the selling process, right? Prospecting, qualifying, and closing. So until we have you know technology to track and actually have clarity about these things, we don't know where to go improve our, our game. And that makes it really hard to be successful, right? When you don't know when you don't know where you're going, any road works. I'm not sure who said this originally, but I I, I love this quote and I think about it all the time. That's that's a very good one. So John, let everybody know if they want to find out more about adaptive growth or even sales throwdown, where they can find you, where where they can find both of these. Awesome. Yeah. If if you are struggling with sales or if you know you want to offload sales to someone else, but you're a little bit nervous about that, um, adaptedgrowth.com is my website. Uh, for that very specifically, um, for my stuff where I'm talking about entrepreneurial stuff, sales stuff, and just anything that catches my eye that that's all under, um, johnsmallmountain.com. I go down some, some, some rabbit holes there because I'm a pretty curious person. And then, uh, sales throwdown is the podcast, right? We have four people that sit in four different areas of the disc methodology. So if you're familiar with disc, we have someone who's a high D, someone who's a high I, someone who's a high S and I'm the high C. And we talk about how our personality, you know, traits and quirks impact our sales results, right? How to get outside of your comfort zone because that comfort zone is going to be different depending upon where you sit. And we try to help people because until you can give somebody else what they need in a conversation to make a buying decision, you're going to, you're going to have a lot of, you know, think it overs and, you know, stalls and objections and stuff like that. So everything for the podcast is at sales throwdown. We're currently giving a, doing a giveaway. So if you uh, check it out, um, I'll give you a link if you would like to put it out there. Yep. We're giving away one of these assessments. So if you've never taken a disc assessment, um, you can sign up for one now. If we pick your name, we will send you the full exam. You can take the full exam. And then one of us from the show will actually call you to go over your results with you. So that way you understand exactly what this is, how it shows up in your conversations and how to deal with it moving forward. So it's about a 90 minute consultation that we're doing for free. Um, 
And yeah, because this stuff is, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the disk assessment, in my opinion. Okay, nice. And uh, make sure to send me the link and I'll put that with all the others on the show notes. Absolutely. Thank you, John. It was a pleasure having you here and I wish you all the best. And thank you so much for having me. It's been a really great conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for subscribing to FailFast Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and visit FailFastPodcast.com for show notes, Quinn's social media, or even to tell us your story.